welcome to the Soul Revival Church Podcast. My name is Melissa Poisel, and my husband TJ and I are the lead pastors here at Soul Revival. Thank you so much for listening in. We pray that today's message is encouraging and inspiring. Good morning. Welcome. How's everybody doing? Good? Well, my name is TJ, and my wife Melissa and I are lead pastors here at Soul Revival Church. If you're a guest with us, thanks for coming to hang out. And we just wanted to let you know that this is a place where all are welcome. And you don't have to believe to belong because God meets us right where we're at. So we welcome you in exactly where you are and to know that you can be comfortable here because you belong here. And uh, this morning, we're going to be in John 6. But before I tell you which verse we're going to read, if you brought your Bible, awesome. If not, we'll throw it on the screen for you. But we just want to let you know, like this, this is not a manual about how you earn the love of God. It's not a rule book about here's all the things you have to do so that God will love you. This is a love story about the God of the universe, the God of the universe that saw us broken through our transgressions, our sins separated us from God, and it's all about him coming to get us back. And everything you read in this points to Jesus. Every bit of it is about Jesus, even before we learn about the birth of Jesus, which we celebrated on this Christmas. So we're going to be in John 6 today, and it's going to be uh, 635 is the verse we'll be speaking from. Everybody caught up with me? Boom, there it is. All right, then it says, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If you could pray, for, pray with me and for me, you could pray for me too, that would be awesome, uh, but I want to pray over this time together. God, we thank you so much that you're here. We already feel your presence in this place. You're already speaking to so many hearts, God. And I pray in this moment, the message that you have for the people at Soul Revival this morning, that that I would get out of the way, that it would be your voice coming through, and that people would get to rejoice and celebrate you and all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have a good Christmas? Yeah? Half of us did. The other half? That's all right. New Year's coming up. But this morning, we want to talk to you a little bit about that because there's been so much excitement going on, not only Christmas, but like the buildup for Christmas. I think it started a little early this year, uh, around, I don't know, I would even say Halloween because we had snow on Halloween. So the kids are like, all right, I get to dress up and it's Christmas. Anybody else have that same experience? They're like, what's going on? This seems so weird and so strange. But then, you know, if you're in the Poisel household, it was like November hit and we got to start celebrating Christmas. Hallmark does a great job of marketing their movies because we started right then. It was like, all right, at least let's get to November. The rule used to be get past Thanksgiving, but we got into November. And then you look forward to Thanksgiving. You look forward to Christmas. You finally hit December and then the excitement is just roaring, right? And you're like, all right, what gifts am I going to get? Who in here is the gift giver? You love to find the perfect gift to give to somebody, and you get pumped when they open it. Yeah, I love that. Who loves to receive awesome gifts? You can leave your hands up. Everybody look around. If you're with someone who just put their hand up, just pay attention to what commercials they watch or um, their social media ads that are popping up because that's the items that they're searching for because the internet just follows everything you do. Creepy. That's a side note, though. (laughs) But what I want to talk to you about this morning is about a holiday hangover. Hangover, a word that a lot of people are like, man, um, can you say that in church? Some of you are like, I might be feeling that way right now. We want you to know this is where you belong. You're good. And if you need to get up at any moment to get some coffee, go get some or some donuts because 
That might help. But we're going to talk about a different kind of a hangover. Because a hangover is a letdown after great excitement or excess. So you're leading up for three months to Christmas, getting so pumped and excited about Christmas, all the gifts that you're going to get, all the special family memories. I know we love to go see lights. Like we've got our checklist that our boys made, and we checked each one off as we did them. And it's this excitement and this build in it. But then you get to Christmas Day, and you're like, all right, now I'm here, and I'm already thinking about how many more days until I have to go back to work? You know, and then you start counting down immediately. Some of you might have been like, yeah, I had to work on Christmas, or you had to go back to work the day after Christmas. And you're like, man, my mind was so excited leading up to that moment in time, but then Christmas came, and all I could think about is what ne- what's next. So you start to feel this letdown. You start to feel a little overwhelmed. You start to think a little bit more about, like, what, what does this next year have for me? We got through Christmas, may have overspent a little bit because I was excited in the moment, and now you're living in that regret. <laughs> oh, I laugh, but it's not funny because it's something that we all deal with. It happens because there's so much excitement and build up to that exact moment. So then afterwards, it's like we had a mountaintop experience. We have this mountaintop moment, and last week we got to celebrate Jesus and the true gift that it was. But that's the gift that really continues to give. That's a gift that every day of the year we get to celebrate, that we get to remind ourselves about it. And what I love about God and who he is and how incredible Jesus is, is he teaches us how to handle all of these kinds of moments in our lives. And that's something I want to talk with you about this morning. We'll actually be going through pretty much all of John 6. So if you're one of those people that read ahead, go ahead. You can read down through it. Um, My notes aren't in there, so you still might not know what we're talking about, but you're ready to go. Everybody good? So John 6, it starts off with Jesus going to retreat to this mountaintop to hang out with his disciples, because he would do that oftentimes. That's where he would teach them. But then people had been hearing about all the miracles that Jesus had been performing, so people just start showing up. Before you know it, there are thousands of people sitting there, and they're all waiting to hear Jesus speak to them. But Jesus looks at his disciple. He looks at Philip and says, hey, how are we going to feed everybody here? It's not that Jesus didn't know how he was going to, but I love Jesus because he asks questions all the time. It helps stretch and grow us because he'll call us to do some things and ask us to do some things he already knows the answer to, but that's where we can find our faith. That's where we can grow. And it's funny because Philip's response is like, I don't know, just to give everybody in this place just one bite of food, it's going to cost us more than half of a year's wages, and no one's got money. Jesus, you told us to leave everything behind, and we're all in with you. We're broke. But I love it because Andrew responds. He's like, hey, this little boy over here, he's got a sack lunch that I think we could steal from him. (laughs) I'm just playing. He probably asked him. It doesn't say how how it came to be, but there's five loaves of bread and two fish. And what's so incredible is that Andrew, he looks at that, and this is Peter's brother, but he looks at it and goes, that could be enough. Could you imagine that? They say that there were 5,000 people there. In the Bible, they only counted men at that time. So I think about our family, we have five of us. Historians think it could be anything between 10 and 20,000 people that were there. Could you imagine how many people that is? They're up at this mountaintop, they're looking down and just tons of people. And here Andrew goes and says, here's a bagged lunch. How crazy would he have looked to the other disciples in that moment? 
Especially Philip, who was like, man, I just let you know, we need a lot of money to be able to feed these people, and this is what you got. But the incredible thing about who Jesus is, is he can take our minuscule and make a miracle. He can take the little bit that we have and turn it into something magnificent. And in that moment, he says, start breaking it out. And he feeds all of them. We're going to go with 20,000 because that sounds incredible. Even 100 people would have been miraculous, but we always want to go bigger and better, right? Hollywood's taught us to do that. But as I think of 20,000 people being fed from this little boy's sack lunch, it's someone looking at something so little. So what are the little things in your life that you're afraid to give to God because you think it's not enough? What are the small things in your life that if you would just say, God, I believe you can do this for me, you just got to offer it up. We got to be willing to give it up and say, all right, you've got it. So this is that mountaintop moment where everybody is fed. Because it says that after everyone had eaten, after everyone was full, had all that they could handle, everything that they would want, they still had 12 basketfuls left afterwards. And they get done eating. Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, all right, you guys jump in the boat, go to the other side of the lake, I'll meet you there. They're like, what? We only got one boat. This is the ride, okay? There is no Uber. No one's going to come and pick you up to get you over there. But he's like, no, just go. I'll catch up. Don't worry about it. So they get in the boat. They go. And this is the main scene in the Bible that everybody references where Jesus walks on water and goes out and meets them. That's not today's sermon, but that's another miracle in and of itself that takes place. But we're going we're gonna to pick it up after they get to the other side. So if you turn with me here, to John 22 to 26. We're going to work our way back up to the verse that we had read to kick things off. But I'm going to pick up here where it says, the next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. That's crazy. That's how much people love Jesus. They're watching his every move. They realize he didn't leave yet, so we're not leaving. We're staying right here because his disciples went, but he's not gone. Then some, some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the bones and went to, to, uh, excuse me, then went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So they look in that moment and go, all right, they're not here. We, we know where the boat went, so Jesus must have gotten there somehow, so we need to follow. When you see Jesus perform miracles, you're just like, man, I need more of that. How can I get some more of what Jesus has to offer? When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He continues on and says, do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. It's more than a meal. Because in that moment, Jesus fulfilled their physical need. And that for some of us could be actual food. Like, man, we need some food. We're hungry. We need something to eat. God, I need you to give me the fulfillment for my life. I need you to give me something to nourish myself. But it could also be worldly things. 
clothes, cars, that new cell phone you just have to get, the computer that's the next model up. For some reason, it's better, but you're not really sure why, but it's out, so I need to have it. But it's this feeling of what are my physical needs that I want right now, that I think I want or that I actually want, because Jesus met it in that moment. But as he's speaking to him, he's letting him know that food alone is not what you need. What you need is me. Jesus is telling him, you need me in your life because food, you're always going to need that, but I will provide it for you. But there's something greater than that. There's something greater in who I am and what I want to give to you. Because it is, it's more than a meal. And we get stuck in our day-to-day struggle just trying to say, how am I going to get by? Because we're putting the trust and the hope in ourselves to think, i got to figure this out somehow. And they encountered this mountaintop experience where they knew Jesus gave them the food, so they're coming after him to say, I need more of that. But Jesus spoke in so many parables, and he would use things to model the kingdom side of it. Because we're here in the physical world, so that's how we see things. But God's about the spiritual. He's about saying, you can experience my kingdom here and now. So when you're hungry, I want you to know I'm going to provide for you because I care. I know how many hairs are on your head. I care about who you are. But I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that can sustain you and get you through everything. I'm the meal that you need, not the physical food that you may find. But they're coming off this mountaintop moment where they just saw God perform a miracle. So they're like, you got to be able to hook me up then. You just did it before. Just do it again. Why not, right? But Jesus shows this tough love in that moment, too. Because there's some of us who have family members that come to us and say, hey, let me hold $20. I got you. You know they don't got you. God does say to just give lovingly and willingly to allow them to go and take care of themselves at times. God says, give them what you have, but to a point. Because through his love in that moment, he's like, all right, I've got to show you that there's something greater than that. There's something greater than just the physical need that's going to be met here. You need who I am because I am more than a meal because Jesus is more than enough. But it continues on because he touches on a few other things in our love as we read through this. In 628, it goes on to say, Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. It's more than manpower. We get caught in these ruts thinking, I have to be the one that just has to do it. I have to get it done. Just tell me what I can do. And that's the difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus. Because religion will tell you, you need to earn the love of God. And that's what the Old Testament had taught all of these Jewish people was you had to follow this set of rules to make yourself okay so that you can come into the presence of God. That was never God's intent. He wasn't saying, here are the rules to get to me. He's saying, man, you guys are broken and hurting and sin separated us. So in order to cleanse yourself, here's what you have to do in order to get into my presence. Because God is perfect and good. But then he sent Jesus for us. 
And that's what he's doing. He's helping us understand that it's more than manpower, that there is nothing anyone in here can do. You cannot earn the love of God. There's no like 10-step process you can follow to say God has now accepted you and he loves you. What Jesus says is you have to believe and you have to trust. It's hard sometimes to do that. It's hard to have trust in what you can't see, but that's what faith is. It's, in, it's having belief in what you don't understand in the moment. And Jesus is saying, look, you can't do it. You cannot do it on your own. Stop trying to do. Stop asking me what you need to do. And just accept my love. Accept the grace that I have to offer. Accept the fact that I want to help you through this. And the key is having belief and trust in who God is. Just believe. And for some of you in here today, you may have not made that decision before to say, I believe. I believe in Jesus. But for those of you who have, do you still believe him for that job that you need? Or do you feel like you have to do all the right things to get it? Do you believe him for that relationship you've been praying for? That reconciliation you've just been hoping for and longing for? Do you have belief and trust that God can do it? That's not to say you don't have to do anything. There's a difference. Because our identity comes from Jesus. We are his children, and he loves us. Do we have any parents in the room? You love your kids no matter what. And you would do anything for them even when they mess up. That's the same way God is. God looks at you and says, you're mine. You are mine and I'll do whatever it takes to get to you. And out of that identity, our love for him allows us to live out our faith. And to trust God in what he's doing. But we get it backwards. We say, all right, God, what do I have to do so that I can earn your love and I can get close to you? But he's, he's the source. He's the one that will get us through. He's the one that will provide us everything we need to have the strength to survive. But we have to have faith and trust in the moment. So he's taught us that it's more than a meal. That it's more than manpower. And next, as we continue on in the way that Jesus is speaking to them, we're going to pick up here at John 6.30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And it's more than a miracle. It's more than a miracle. They experience a miracle on the other side, but Jesus is saying, like, you, you keep coming to me for more miracles and more miracles, and that's how our mind works. That's the place that we find ourselves so frequently, is we see God do something incredible, and then we think, all right, I need you to continue to show me God. Show me God. Show me God. That doesn't mean he doesn't want to show you, but his plan might be different than you will expect or anticipate. But when we continue to just wait on a miracle, we can find ourselves stuck. Find ourselves in a place to say, I'm just going to wait here until I see that perfect sign that Jesus wants me to do this. So it's Monday morning and you wake up at 7 like, I'm not going to go to work today because Jesus hasn't said, go to work. No, you have a job and your boss said be there at 7 o'clock, so you go. There are certain things within our lives where we have to step into and say, all right, God, you've called us to do this. The miracle that we've been waiting on, your sign, it might not be something we're going to see every time, but we're going to have our trust and our hope and our faith in Jesus. 
Because it's incredible when those miracles, when we get to see them, and we always talk about it here at Soul Revival, like we want to be a part of the miracles that God's doing, the way that he's changing and transforming lives. We get to be a part of that. But don't allow ourselves to get stuck waiting just to see the next miracle. Because here these people are, they come to the other side of the shore and they're just saying, all right, keep giving us more miracles, keep giving us more of the food that you had before. Continue to show us why you're the Messiah. And they continue on from that moment too, because that's kind of a two-part segment here. Because in John 6, 31, it continues, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And it's more than a man. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. Because at that time, the Jewish culture knew that Moses, when he delivered the people from Egypt, they looked at Moses in that way, but it's God who delivered him from Egypt. But then they had to roam out throughout the desert. And when they were, God was providing them with manna. It's like, I don't know, people talk about it like bread, but it's a food that no one can identify. I look at it like Frosted Flakes. I feel like that would be manna from heaven because it's good for you and it tastes great. That wasn't planned, that just came out, so we can edit that later. I'm just kidding, we can't. But in the wilderness, Moses was leading the people and God was providing them with food. But the Jewish people at the time were idolizing Moses and saying, Moses is the one that gave us everything we needed. So if you're the new Moses, just do that. Continue to give us everything we need. But we have to remind ourselves it's more than a man. There's no person in your life that can give you everything that you need. Jesus is the one and only source. Jesus is the one that will help you and get you through each and every day. Now, some of us, you might have spouses, significant others, kids, parents, and those are great relationships that God's equipped us with. And we can help one another through our lives. But if we're looking for imperfect people to fulfill us, it'll never happen. And you'll continue to be let down. You'll continue to feel broken. You'll feel discouraged like, man, they let me down again. But we cannot put our hope and our trust in a man or a woman. I'm being mutually inclusive here. Man just was good with the alliteration. But as man or woman, we can't rely on people to give us the things that we need. We can go to God for that. He'll provide it. He'll sustain us. But here's what's so incredible. When you do that, then you become to look more like him and the way that you love the people around you looks like he does. And saying, how can I be a contributor in my faith? How can I love people well? How can I do the things that God's calling me to do? And the rest of verse 6 or chapter 6 gets, gets a little dicey for some people when they read it. But I love how Jesus does it because he tells people, no, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And a whole lot of people in that moment are like, this is weird. This is really weird and I'm out. And Jesus wasn't speaking to the physical nature of it. He was speaking to the sacrifice he was about to make for his people. For the people he so desperately loved. 
But they were trying to call him out on it, like, how can we eat you? How can we drink you? And he's like, man, you're missing the point. He's just trying to let people know that he is enough. That Jesus can do all things. But as you live from those mountaintop experiences and you find yourself heading down to a valley and you feel discouraged and you're looking forward and saying, man, what can I do? So oftentimes we can get to look, look in all the wrong places. Where's my meal going to come from? How am I going to find fulfillment there? What can I do, the manpower? What do I have to do to continue forward? Where's my miracle? I'm just waiting for my miracle to come and step in. Or you're looking for that person to sustain you and to get you through. See, but toward the end, toward the end, this is what Jesus says. 649. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is just saying, I'm everything that you need. He can see their needs. He understands it. Just like in the moment when he saw that one bagged lunch and he was about to feed everyone, he's saying, I want to do that for you spiritually. I want you to know that I will never leave you or forsake you, but I'm here. That you can come to me for every possible need that you have because I am more than enough. And we've got to make that decision for ourselves. We have to say, you know what? I want to go towards Jesus because he's waiting for me. I want to live fully in relationship with Jesus because he cares for me. He loves me. Because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he's saying, look, miracles, I'm going to perform them. They're going to happen. But you need to live in faith and belief in me and understand that I am your source that I will give you the nourishment, I will give you the strength, I will give you everything that you need to survive. In my life, I've had moments. And before I knew Jesus, I had a lot of them where I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna make it out. I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna find my way out. Growing up here, living, living for a sense of a future. Like, I've got to escape Racine. I've got to get out of here and get a good job so that I can make lots of money and be happy. But inside, I was empty. Inside, I was broken. Inside, I was continuing to try to fill a void with alcohol, with drugs, and then with success. But you'll always find yourself continuing to long for things because too much is never enough unless it's Jesus. Because Jesus is your more than enough. Him being there, he can help you through it. Jesus is more than a meal. He's more than manpower. He's more than miracles. And he's more than a man. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the king that everyone was waiting for. They were anticipating his arrival. He is a mighty warrior. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone that comes to him can have life and life to the full. And you might be in this room today saying, I've never accepted that, but I want it. It's real simple. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. You have to believe. You have to have faith in who Jesus is. That's it. So right now, I want to give people in this room the opportunity to make that decision for themselves for the first time. If you've never been able to declare that Jesus is your Lord and that you want a relationship with him, because that's what it's about. It's a relationship with the God of the universe who loves you. And he wants to get to know you. And he really wants you to get to know him because he knows your heart. He knows that void that you have right now. He knows that pain that you're experiencing. He knows it all too well and his heart breaks with you. He cries when you cry. He hurts when you hurt. And he's saying, you don't have to do it alone. You got someone who loves you right here and I'm gonna help you through it. And I'm gonna give you people around you that are gonna help you through it. And all you gotta do is say, yes, I believe. At this time, I'm gonna ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. This is a safe place. And I'm gonna count to three in a moment. And when I get to three, if that's you, if you say, yes, I want a relationship with Jesus, if you could just shoot your hand in the air. This is a moment where everything changes for you. This is a moment where you step into a purpose to say, I know God loves me. One, I promise you will never be the same. Two, Jesus loves you and he died for you. Three, if that's you, can you shoot your head, hand up into the air? Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can be brave, go ahead, if that's you. Thank you so much, those of you who made that decision today. And we want to pray with you now. You can go ahead and put those hands down. We're going to pray with you as a church family. So when I pray, everyone in the room repeat with me so that we can help them say it out loud in this moment, that they can have the freedom to do so. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you rose again. And thank you that I get a relationship with you. And I don't have to do life alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate in this place? Yes, some lives were just changed. Thank you for joining Soul Revival Church Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review us to help reach more people with the hope and love of Jesus. If you would like to support our ministry, you can visit us online at www.soulrevival.church.